You're now listening to Real Talk with Ryan David. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Ryan David, a podcast dedicated to keeping it real about psychology, leadership, lifestyle, and more. I'm Ryan David, psychology professor, personal leadership, and holistic lifestyle coach. Today's episode is part one of my conversation with Dr. Raymond Tolmos. Dr. Ray has been my personal physician since 2016 and has helped me tremendously when it comes to improving and maximizing my health. Dr. Ray is a chiropractic internist or DABSI. In fact, he is the only chiropractic internist in Miami-Dade County and only one of about 20 in the entire state of Florida. If you don't know what a DABSI is or what they do, we jump right into that and Dr. Ray will elaborate on his expertise right out of the gate. In this first episode together, We touch on a number of topics, including what a chiropractor is, the importance of blood work, types of anemia, misconceptions about cholesterol, the dangers of insulin resistance, and prostate health. If you're serious about your health and you want to learn more about an alternative approach to holistic health, wellness, and traditional medicine, you're absolutely going to benefit from this information provided throughout this conversation. Now, please enjoy part one of my discussion about holistic health with Dr. Raymond Tolmos. Dr. Ray. What's up, bud? Thank you so much for doing this today. It's my pleasure, man. I love doing stuff like this. Long time coming, man. Um, yeah. So, uh, as I as I said in my intro, Miami's first and currently only board certified chiropractic internist. Still the only one, yeah. Um, I want to touch on a couple of topics today, uh, including cholesterol, hormones, autoimmunity, COVID, antibiotics, and prostate health. If we can get to all those, oh, but some I of fir- my favorites. I first want to start. There's so many, and we've had many great conversations about those and, and much more, but. I first want to just start for anybody listening and watching. Um, what's a chiropractor? Okay, so a chiropractor is a entry level provider, which means that we're trained to diagnose people and see do they need to be referred out somewhere, right? Like a primary care doctor, you go there, maybe they treat you, maybe you need to go somewhere else. Uh, same type of thing with a chiropractor, except for. What we focus on, everybody thinks about bones. So is this chiropractic work you're talking about or the internist? I'm talking about chiropractic. Just do pure chiropractic because you're more than that. Pure chiro. Pure chiropractor. For the skeptics out there, for the people that aren't aren't informed, what's a chiropractor? Right. A lot of people didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no problem. A lot of people didn't know chiropractors are considered doctors. And that's kind of why I wanted to start that way because um, I obviously go above and beyond and we'll talk about it. But every chiro is trained in referring for emergencies, referring to certain specialists outside of the scope of chiropractic. Now, what's inside of the scope of chiropractic? As a chiropractor who graduates from chiropractic school, earns uh, his doctorate, passes his board exams, he's going to be focused on treating the nervous system. Most people think it's about the bones, but the bones house the nervous system. Mm. So the goal of chiropractic is to find what are called subluxations. I don't like the term. It's just what they call it. Okay. It's just kind of what it is. Um, basically areas where there's dysfunction within the spine. Gotcha. It is, uh, the, the philosophy is basically that, and chiropractic is an art. It's a science and a philosophy. So the art is within the adjustments. Okay. The science is in finding out Obviously, the anatomy, the but, you know, it's what's all impinged, if right? Anything. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, what's the diagnosis, right? The scientific part of it, and then um, the philosophy is that the body is made to heal itself, mm-hmm. and what prevents it from healing itself are stresses. Some of those stresses affect our organs and parts of our body. All those stresses affect our spine, and that can lead to the interference in the nervous system that chiropractic is made to remove, basically. Gotcha. So in layman's terms, if your bones are not where they're supposed to be, they'll affect your nervous system, which can affect then every right. other part of your body. Right. And when we say things are out of place, it doesn't literally mean like it's it's like right. out it's of place. or anything. What we're talking about is that there's inflammation in that joint that's built up due to aberrant motion, tight muscles, stress, whatever the case might be. That can inhibit movement. That can inhibit flow, right. blood flow. That can inhibit. Not necessarily blood flow. It would have to be really bad to inhibit gotcha. blood flow. Um, but nervous, nervous system. Right. That's really what we're focused on is okay. the nerves. And, and so just to follow up, what's your response to people who they don't believe chiropractic care works or they don't consider chiropractors doctors? So I could see why some people would think that because some chiropractors are philosophy based, which means they just think the body heals itself. They just adjust and there isn't any rhyme or reason to why they do except for that. Mm. Um, but that's not every single chiropractor. 
um, it's philosophy based versus science based versus evidence based. There's the problem with chiropractic, in my opinion, is that there's so many types and so many kinds uh, and so many. Like you know, if you go to an endocrinologist, you know exactly what you're getting. So there are different types of chiropractors. Oh, yeah, if you go to a chiropractor, you could be going to a chiropractic internist like myself. Mm-hmm. You could be going to a sports chiropractor. You could be going to a pediatric chiropractor. All so, different approaches to the body. All different approaches and all different training and mm-hmm. all different just ways to diagnose and different things to look for. So there's a lot of, you know, under the umbrella of chiropractic types of practitioners. Um, and there's a lot of fighting in between the own chiropractic community where guys want to prescribe medicine like like real doctors and where guys are like, no, then we're from our whole what chiropractic was based upon. To and not so, rely on medicine. Right. We'll get so, to that. Yes, exactly. So it's it's there's a lot going on with it, a lot of fighting within the own profession. Um, but at the end of the day, the chiropractor is again, science, art, philosophy, find out why the body is not healing because we believe that it's supposed to heal itself. Sometimes that may be within the scope of chiropractic, like the bones are misaligned and have Mm -hmm. inflammation and that there's interference in the nervous system. Sometimes it's that there's metabolic issues and yada, yada. So the, the chiropractic, it's funny. I always say it can be a treatment for anything or a treatment for nothing. Right. Because you know, the first chiropractic adjustment ever brought back a guy's hearing who was deaf for 17 years. Is it going to bring back everybody's hearing who's deaf? Not in the same situation. But if the nerve is pinched that affects their hearing and you adjust it, it'll get fixed. Right. So, you know, it has to, it has to line up. It's not just like, you know, you, you do the same thing for everybody. The only people that are going to get better are the people who have that problem. Maybe not everybody has that that problem. problem. Right. Right. So for skeptics, it's kind of like um, a dentist or a counselor you got to find a good one that works for you. And if you don't, right. or you have a bad experience, you don't just stop going to the dentist altogether. Right. You don't just not go to a counselor. Right. You find one that maybe works for you and you can get those results if needed. Correct. If you're in a situation that. that right. Needs. And yeah, I tell people all the time, chiropractic, finding a chiropractor is kind of like dating. You know, sometimes it's love at first not a sight. Good match. You know, right, right. sometimes it's, you know, you got set up on a blind date and right. you know, it's not the one for you, you know? So at, at the end of the day, yeah. it, it is a personal it's a relationship. Thing. It's a relationship. Right. And, right. and you have to feel comfortable in that person's hands and you know don't get me wrong there's a lot of for example female chiropractors that will uh, like i'm talking about rack you and crack you you Mm. know what i mean and then there's some that need to use leverage in different positions and so seven foot 350 pounder and you have you know 120 pound you know four foot 11 chiropractor it could be a little bit tough right so you know you got to find who's right for you and and again as i mentioned please women do an excellent job yeah, of yeah, adjusting yeah. you're just saying physical just, size could exactly, come into play exactly it could just in, happen yeah, yeah right yeah. So, and, and and somebody who's like me you know five foot two 110 pounds i wouldn't want to see a seven foot 300 no, pound maybe you chiropractor get crushed, you know? I get crushed. I wouldn't. <laughs> no but listen even those chiropractors the whole point of chiropractic is you know it looks really rough but it's actually super gentle and the movement if you do it right a professional does exactly if you do it the right way correct and there's unfortunately it it was funny because when we were going through school we would call it the knack either you have the knack to adjust people that's that or you don't right that touch right because there's some guys right as a male you know you have more strength right and so you could just bust through and get something to crack but you may not need that right it's about getting into that last little bit and then that one little movement you know right more so speed not strength so even that guy who's, you know, looks like he's going to crush you. He Doesn't should be. To. Exactly. He should be. Exactly. The, the professionalism should. comes in. What do I need for this exact client? Right. For the record, I'm not 5'2". I'm 6'1". Lots of fun. <laughs> I might look 120, 130 pounds, but I'm also like 165, 170. For the, for the record. For the record. Yeah, but you're, you're, not, you're not just a chiropractor. You are much more than a chiropractor. You are a chiropractic internist or a DABCI. Right. Briefly, what's that? So DABCI is Diplomate from the American Board of Chiropractic Internists. So the internist part is funny. People are like, oh, you're an intern in a chiropractor's office? And I'm like, no. Internist. Uh, Internist, as in internal medicine. So most primary care doctors, for example, are internists, right? So the, the internist part of the chiropractic just basically means that we're trained to diagnose and manage internal disorders. So diabetes autoimmune conditions, stomach problems, skin conditions, whatever you would really go and see your primary care doctor for, which is why, you know, most DABCs or DABCI diplomate chiropractors um, are going to have somewhat of a primary care practice where they see people of all walks of life. 
Got it. So Dabsy, that's a good one. I'll, I'll start referring to you as a Dabsy. It's a little easier than D-A-B-C. It yeah. is, and a Dabsy sounds, it sounds official. Like a Dabsy, what's that? Well, he doesn't dab, <laughs> but Dabsy. So... <laughs> So that's, I just wanted to cover, you know, in terms of, I, I've been seeing you for years and, and I know you get results. I know how professional you are. I know how credible you are. But for people out there that, that doubt the credibility when they hear doctor and they hear chiropractor, you're much more than a chiropractor, you're an internist, but also any skeptics for, for that. Well, real quick, just yes. to kind of get into that, you know, chiropractic school is still medical school. Mm-hmm. We learn the blood chemistry at, again, not very in depth, but we go through it all. The difference is where in medical school they're learning about pharmacology and and those types of modalities and and ways to treat. We're learning about the ways that we treat as well, which is the physical, you know, touch, the adjustments. Right. What, how do what do we do with all that? So right. for um, sure, it's still, not an honorary PhD. It's legitimate, right? Medical. Right, and yeah. it's still three four years. It's board exams that need to be taken. You know, everything needs to be, uh, you know passed and sealed, licensed with the, with the state, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like, you know, we go for a weekend and get a certification no. and all of a sudden we're out here, hey, <laughs> I'm a Dabsy. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> you I'm know a, what I mean? So I'm a doctor. It, it's a little more than that. And then for the Dabsy sure. is in another 300 hours after that and another board exam after that. Well, so that's also not, you know, a weekend functional medicine course. It's, it's, there's a reason why you're the only one in Miami Broward right now. Right, yeah, right. And not, and just so people know, I'm the only one in Miami. There's maybe 20 now in the whole state of Florida wow. um, and over 500 throughout the United States. And every three years or so, they're graduating a class because that's how long it's taken to get these hours done wow. and everything. Um, and it's usually about 50 people in that class. So, you know, little by little, we're, you know, we're coming up and trying to create more influence. That's really what the whole goal is and why I'm here with you today. Uh, now, just to just to kind of piggyback on that before we dive into a couple of particular areas of health, um, the difference between um, traditional Western medicine and your approach, which is a more holistic approach, which is why I'm really more in alignment with how you um, treat or or deal with with patients because because of my philosophy. Right. But for people who are wondering, what's the difference between him and a regular doctor? In, in a line or two, the difference, the major difference between primary care physician that they see, medical doctor that they see and your approach or what you do, it does it have to do with Western versus Eastern, generally speaking, or what's the philosophy difference there? I guess a follow-up question to that would be, why would someone come to somebody like you with your right. philosophy versus the medical doctor? Right. So I'll tell the, I say medical doctor, if that's the wrong no, term. No, that's, that's the correct term. Okay. Medical doctor is, at nowadays, there's three of those types of entry-level physicians that I was talking about. And it's, Prescribing physicians. So it's MD, okay. DO. Those two are considered medical doctors. And then there's DCs, which is a doctor of chiropractic. Gotcha. So those are the three kind of main guys that you can see. Okay. Right? Now, the difference between what I do as a chiropractic internist and as a primary care doctor, MD or DO, the diagnosis is going to be the same. When people come to me, I'm going to do their history. I'm going to do a physical exam using all the same tools. I'm going to then run blood work blood or work, some sort of test. Touch on right now, blood right? Work, yeah. And then we're going to come to a diagnosis. Now, there's a difference because some of the tests that I look for aren't only to evaluate pathology or disease, but also to evaluate function. And that's what medicine, medical doctors don't look at mm. because medicine does not affect dysfunction it affects disease Mm. it manages the problem at hand right so what i'm looking for is why is that problem there right so the difference in philosophy if you if you ask pose the question in that manner is why why does this person have what they have it doesn't matter when you give them a medicine because it's just going to take care of whatever symptom they have symptoms Correct. You don't treat symptoms. Right. Right. We're looking, if you have an autoimmune disease, okay, instead of suppressing your immune system with a medication, well, why do you have that autoimmune disease? Where did that autoimmune disease come from? How did it begin? You weren't born with it. How Mm. was it triggered? All those things are what we consider when it comes to what we need to do to treat this person. Got it. So, so in a nutshell, really what you're looking at is what's the source? What's the origin? What can we do to help the body? basically reset to the point where it can take care of it in itself instead of treating a symptom with a medication almost like you can use the term band-aid where you're treating the symptom and the after result after effect and not really helping the body not keep correct and and i'll give you a perfect example you you said why would somebody want to come to me as opposed to a different doctor so here's a perfect kind of and it's happened many times right i'll have somebody come in and they're they're fatigued they're tired um you know they went to maybe their doctor, you know, a while back and they said everything was fine. 
you know, we started getting into things a little bit more. We run some tests. Turns out they're pre-diabetic or almost diabetic, right? That person needs to change a lot in their lifestyle, okay? And medicine can't do that. Medicine cannot do that. But some people don't want to change their lifestyle. Correct. So that medicine is for those people who say, no, I don't want to stop eating dessert every time that I have a meal. I don't want to sit down every day when I get home from work. I, I want to not go to the gym. I want to not really take responsibility for my health. I want to just rely on this pill to make me feel like I'm healthy for that meantime. Because that's really what it is. If, if you're not fixing a problem every day, it's getting worse. Yeah. So it is managing that disease is what medicine does. And eventually it comes to a point where that disease leads to another one, which requires another medication, which may have a side effect that requires another medication. And not everybody ends up that way, but that's a very common thing. You know, I get people in here in their 60s and they're taking not just one, two, three. It's like LeBron, not one, not two, not three, you know, but all these 17 medications. Yeah, man. And all from different doctors who may not even be talking to each other. That's tough. And so that's why, you know, people are like, oh, chiropractic, it's going to cause a stroke. Don't go see a chiropractor. Medical errors are the third leading cause of death. So, hey, listen, you can take the chance on trying to be healthy. And, you know, by the way, the people who, who have suffered strokes after chiropractic adjustments, I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, but the favorite argument in medicine when we're talking about anything that like tries to disprove something that's been medically proven for some time is causality and correlation. Right. Right. Oh, it, that's not the cause of it. It's just correlated to yeah. it. Well, that's the same exact thing when we're talking about these strokes and dissected vertebral arteries. Those were going to happen regardless of the adjustment. Because there was underlying issues prior to the adjustment. Correct. The first place. That so the artery was already ready to go. Right. And then the chiropractic was just, you know, the catalyst to that action. But at the end of the day, it was going to happen. Sometimes, like in the in this previous person, uh, the most recent one, I think somebody from Georgia, a student, something, her life may have been saved, even though at this point they're saying she could potentially be paralyzed because the chiropractor is the one who called 911 and realized oh, what was going on before anybody. Wrong. So maybe it's better if it happens in the office where there's a professional to take care of you. True. So anyway, tangent, I, but. I, no, no, that's a good I thought explanation. It was important. I wanted to give you also, that being said, I wanted to give you an opportunity because to basically speak to doctors out there that are listening or people who hear this and think, well, he's just bashing what East Western medicine. He's just bashing Not traditional doctors. And I know that you know there's a place and a time and a place and maybe a use for everything. So Definitely. Just briefly for you to say that you're not you're not anti medicine, oh, you're not anti doctors. By no means. They have a need if someone needs insulin because their body doesn't produce it. 100%. We're going to send them to a 100. percent And some maybe sometimes by the time they get here, their autoimmune condition is so bad that their immune system needs to be suppressed to grab it. And, right, because right. healing takes time, and not everybody has the luxury to be able to have that time to heal right away. So sometimes using medications to help with symptoms, to help control, to help people do what they need to do in order to heal is necessary. Yeah. And then of course the the goal is to come off of that, yeah. right? To use medication, medication, not as the first line of defense, but as a way to try to learn how to get off of it, to allow the body to get there, or as a way to manage something that could be an emergency if it's not yeah. urgently taken care of in, in that moment. You Ideally know? to wean you back to let your body do the work if the client is, patient is willing to do that. Correct. And, and they would Correct. like to do that. So, so easiest way to put it, I'm not against medicine. I'm, I'm against using medicine before giving your body the chance to, to figure out, right. you know, why is this problem happening here? Great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balancing act and you have to treat people where they are. If there's, if they're in a dire situation and medicine is the thing to help them save right. them and where they are to help work with them longer. Totally. I, I think that's the case. Okay. So just to wrap that up, what are some of the tools and technology that you have here available at Frontier Spine and Health that you use <clears> to, to treat patients and to address some of the issues? I know you have some pretty exclusive things going on here that you offer. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a treatment wise, we have a, a, I try to have everything that I could possibly have that's natural in order to help people heal. So in on the chiropractic side of things, obviously we do adjustments. We have a table that allows for flexion distraction, which is really good for low back injuries. We have cervical traction. So pregnancies. 
Right. We have a table that opens that flips down. So, uh, you know, we can adjust pregnant women. And it's funny cause there was like, this is my favorite time of the day. Not just cause the adjustment feels good, but because they get to lay on their stomach. I, I've seen that in one of your clips. Yeah, it's she hilarious. Just was like, this is, I, I just look forward my whole week to coming here. Exactly. Cause I can lay down right. my face down and, and they love it. Just that relief for, for that one moment. Um, and then of course all the rehab tools that are standard ultrasound, electric stimulation, paraffin wax, uh, the vibrating tables that help with, you know, connecting the nerves to the, to the muscles again. K laser infrared <clears throat> sauna. Right. So infrared, uh, sauna is a great tool, uh, for a lot of reasons. We have the IV nutrition as well, uh, which is excellent for a lot of people who have had gastric bypass, have problems with digesting and absorbing in their gut, just bypass all that and go right into the blood. Um, and then the laser that we have is awesome too. It's the, beginning of the regenerative medicine journey that we're about to start bringing to the office as well. So nice. I'm excited about what's coming on that, uh, on that end of things, but the laser has really been the first step to it because mostly everything that we do is anti-inflammatory and then let the body take care of it. Right. But regeneration, that's a whole nother next level. Yeah. That's a whole nother opportunity, you know? So um, I'm excited about that. And the laser has been like, man, We've had some awesome success, success stories yeah. with that. Yeah, it's been great. And we're in the, the rehabilitation room, so you also do obviously physical therapy, a bit of that as right, well. Right, Massage therapy, we didn't mention. Oh, massage therapy too, right. Yeah. So yeah, it, custom-made orthotics. I mean, there you go. I, there's just so many things. And and when I was in school, one of the things that I remember is the more ba- the more tools you have in your bag, bag. the more people that you can help, right? So I, I, I have that same <clears> philosophy <throat> when it comes to dealing with people from a psychological standpoint. I mean, the more approaches you have, the more background totally. you have in terms of the different um, schools of thought. And yeah, so cool. I, I just wanted to lay that out there in terms of like who you are, what you do, where you are, and, and what you do here. Now, now there's some technical questions about health. Let's um, do it. The blood work and the reference ranges is really what I wanted to go with blood work. You, you touched on blood work a little bit. And, and one of the biggest differences that I found when I came to you initially and, and since coming to you initially is, is how you look at blood work and how you run blood work versus if someone goes to their primary care physician. Because I've talked to my friends and other people say, go get your blood work done. And, and they go to the blood work, you know, get the blood work done from their primary care physician or whatever it comes by. Everything's great. Everything's in normal. And I said, let me see what they ran. And they ran like seven things. Right. And yours is like three sheets, four sheets of right. blood work. And you think, well, why do you need all of that stuff? And then you explained to me how and why you look at blood work the way that you do. Mm-hmm. And it's almost in a preventative sense. We're not just looking at what your range is in this thing right now. We're looking at what these seven markers are that could lead to potentially a red flag that could leave this marker that's in range. And it could potentially force that out of range in the future. Is that roughly what you, how you do it? I mean, yes. <clears throat> in your but, own words, how yeah, do you really at the end use of the day, blood work? Right. So at the end of the day, what I'm using is every single, every single test within the blood tells you about a process that's going on in the body. Putting all those processes together is the, the puzzle that I'm trying to paint. The holistic approach right. that's to look at. So everything. I'm trying to I'm trying to take all these little pieces and put them together. And the blood work is a huge part of that. Mm. The physical that I do with them, checking head, ears, eyes, nose, throat, heart, lungs, abdomen, pulses, neurological, yeah. spinal exams, all that stuff to understand physically what's going on is important. How do I understand what's going on chemically within them, right? You can't look at somebody and know what their red blood cell count is and how their body's making their red blood cells and are they carrying enough iron, but the blood work can tell you that. You know, I can't look at you and say, oh, you know, I think your liver enzymes are probably a little bit high. I mean, I could guess with a few amount of people on that one. Right. But at the end of the day, I sometimes I've guessed and, I, and exactly. I've been wrong. Yeah, you know, so you exactly. Exactly. So that is the clinical evidence that I use to understand where are we starting? What's going on with this person? Are they using more nutrients in one place than they shouldn't? Are they deficient in any of these nutrients? Are there any imbalances that are making certain organ systems work harder than others? That sounds like the stuff that's not really looked at when they run the blood work when you go to a primary care physician. Correct. Because when you go to your primary care, most medical doctors, what they're looking for is what's outside of that medical range. If something's outside of that medical range, it's going to indicate some sort of a disease process that may require then, of course, a medication. So there's a big gray area mm-hmm. between f- being in medical range and functioning properly. Right. So we use optimized ranges, which are a little bit smaller. That was going to lead me to my next question about how you feel about reference ranges right. and how vague and gray they are. And so perfect, be. perfect example. Um, 
<coughs> CRP, C-reactive protein. It's something in the blood that's an inflammatory marker that as cells die, it's that number goes up, right? So you have an infection, it's going to go up. Um, you have a chronic infection, it's going to stay high, right? So nobody really looks at CRP unless they're a functional doctor. So I run CRP on literally every single patient that I have. And that helps me to understand a certain level of inflammation in their body. Baseline inflammation. Right. It can, it can indicate infection. It can indicate cancer. It can ind- indicate that they worked out really hard at the gym yesterday. So there's so many things that a high CRP tells you. How do I know what, it, what it's telling me? Mm. That's the other test the that other I look stuff. at. So why do we run homocysteine? Why do we run GGT? Because if these liver enzymes are high, GGT is a different liver marker. It can tell us about... In tandem, they tell you right. what the CRP is so about. So all of these things now are telling me, okay, well, if this CRP is high, where is it coming from? Mm. All liver enzymes are high. White blood cells are high. They have an infection. Okay. So now I know what's going on. And I can't tell you how many times people feel bad, but everything is okay. And that's because they go to the doctor. Nothing's out of medical range. Everything is okay. But when they come here, everything's out of functional range. And uh, then I'm like, okay, okay so this okay. is Medical why. versus functional range. Right. Your body is doing this. That's why you feel the way you feel. The symptom that you feel is that. The reason why you feel fatigue is because your body is not making energy. It's using that energy to make white blood cells to fight an infection. for the... Right. Uh, right. So you brought up that's excellent. You brought up um, red blood cells and, and iron deficiency. One of the things I learned from you really quickly, this, quickly, this wasn't on my list of things to talk about today, but it's something I learned from you. Anemia. I learned from you that there's like 19 different types of anemia. 19 is a lot, but there's definitely more than one. There's definitely more than one type of anemia. I thought anemia was anemia. And people I think out there think anemia is anemia. Right. You're, you're iron deficient. You're anemia. You're anemic. But that's not necessarily not all, all anemia is about. No, and, not at all. Vague, really, really briefly, when you say anemia, what's the scope potentially that you're talking about there? So anemia is just going to mean that you have lower amounts of oxygen in your body because your hemoglobin level is below a certain number. All right. That's what the definition of anemia is. Now, you can have a microcytic anemia, which is your red blood cells are too small to carry iron. I think that's my situation. I, I, my red blood cells, the size of them right. to be able to carry iron was my potential. It wasn't that I was iron deficient. Right. It was the size of the red blood cell to be able to carry the iron that I have where it needs to go. Right. Exactly. And then there's megaloblastic, which means the cells are too big. Mm. And then there's a hemolytic, which means that your immune system is killing your red blood cells. And then there's so all four forms of anemia. All exactly. And so for anybody out there that's that. listening, understand that if you hear anemia, maybe go to your doctor and ask them what type of anemia that you have. And if they can't tell you, maybe come see Ray. I don't right. know. But well, because not all anemias require iron. Exactly. Because okay, you can have too much iron in your system. 100%. And a lot of people that have inflammation do. Wow. Because inflammation is like a fire and red blood cells are like these little pieces of polyester floating around. And so they just burn right up. Mm-hmm. But what happens? The iron doesn't just disintegrate. It goes right back into your system. So the next red blood cell that's there waiting to pick it up, if there's inflammation and all this stuff going on, your body may, may take that iron as it becomes an excess from all of the red blood cells that are there and start uh. filling up ferritin in your liver, which is where we store pro, uh, iron. It's a protein you know, in the liver. And so we measure that often as well yeah. with almost all our patients because that's another inflammatory marker. It tells us about iron. And iron, mm. what happens when you leave it outside? Rust. And what's an Oxidase. Oxidizes. 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 Oxidation. Oxidation. So what do we always hear? Eat your blueberries and your acai. Why? Because we want antioxidants. And in truth, antioxidant ability, that's how our immune system works. We oxify. (laughs) Right. Right. In theory, that's what it's right. It's really called oxidate. All right. We oxidate and and it's through hydrogen peroxide that our immune system works. And this is the cellular level, cellular level stuff that we are trained in when it comes to be a DAPSI and why the blood work is so important and why iron needs to be out of our system. Because at the end of the day, if you have anemia and you start taking iron, you're creating more oxidation. Mm. And so that's what we want to avoid. So, you say we want to we want to oxidize we want to you know have get rid of the antioxidants and what but you say get it out of our system we have to flush this out is there a mechanism or substance or nutrition something water that we actually because you can eat all the anti-inflammatory antioxidants that you want but if it's just still in your how do we flush it out well that's the what's whole, that process that's about the, what's that, that system that's the whole way that we detoxify right so everything ends up. Uh, going through eat. hydration is hydration a big part of that carrying oh it out? big time okay water is extremely important because if we don't have the right tone to our cells inside and outside 
our body can't really function either. Mm. And that's like, if we don't have that, what happens? Swelling, right? So people who have inflammation are going to have... It's not leaving. Right. It's staying in the system. The lymphatic system, our body's not creating enough energy. Our drainage pathways are closed. People probably aren't going to the bathroom <laughs> uh, very well that have those types of issues. So again, it's all Fluids. about function, getting those fluids in, having the flow of the body work and do its thing. Lymphatic system draining, everything, blood being pumped to the liver, liver detoxifying, conjugating them with amino acids and going into the kidneys for stage two detox. And then finally out of the body, Got it. you know, so at the end of it's the day, process. right. And it's more than just eating blueberries. 100%. Blueberries are great, but by themselves, totally. they're not going to totally. do everything you need to get done. Right. It's part of being a healthy person. I want to ask now, jump into an, an actual technical question about health. And it's one that I think will catch a lot of people's attention. And it's about cholesterol. Yeah. What is cholesterol? So cholesterol, it's something that plays an extremely important role in our body. People don't really realize it, but cholesterol literally makes up the outside of every single one of our cells. It makes our brain and nerves up. It makes our hormones. It's literally the building block for our hormones. We're going to get to that. Yeah. And it can also be a way that the body responds to inflammation and or proper function, right? So we always hear this good versus bad cholesterol, I was going to get to that too. And and that's really just not the case. The the values of your cholesterol tell us one thing, but what those values are made up are really what determine the risk. And of course, looking at the- You see values, you mean the number next to HDL, numbers next to LDL, num- numbers next to total. Totally, values. totally, exactly. And, and you know, there's, there's a, a breakdown that I kind of like to use. If you think about it, let's say your total cholesterol is 200. Let's say that's a value. Let's translate that to $1, right? How many ways could you make that dollar? 100 pennies, 10 dimes, four quarters, 20, right? And then you could even combine all the nickels. Is that, they get that right? If it's 20 or 25, one of them. 20 nickels, right? Yeah. It's a half of a dime and a dime would be 10. I'm not a mathematician. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. Neither of us are. Yeah. We're both done with school, so we don't really. Exactly. I haven't taken math since high school. We got our money right, but okay. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to break down a dollar. The 200 level that you talked about, there's a lot of ways. So getting into that. If you have four quarters making up that value, it's less risk than 100 pennies. Why? Because what we don't think about is every Mm. time our heart beats, when we measure your cholesterol, where is it coming from? Your blood. blood. So in that sample of blood that was taken, that's how much cholesterol is in there. So if there's all these little particles in there floating around. Little cholesterol particles. Little dense BB-like particles. Little meaning little LDL, little and HDL, both. Any, any. Any, any, but little is the key. Key is the size you're talking about. Correct. Pennies. Right. The Times are smaller than pennies, but value-wise, pennies value are smaller. Value-wise, or pennies Got are it. smaller. Correct. So that's the one. That's the one nuance. Don't to get this. too technical. Exactly. With this All right. Just, just, just keep it. That general. works. Pennies are small in this. <laughs> pennies case. are smaller. The hundred versus the four. That's the big thing. Okay. So every time your heart's pumping, these particles are hitting the walls of your vessels, where it bifurcates or where it forks. Right. Where one vessel splits into two. Mm-hmm. Where let's say you're sitting down for a long time and your vessel is bent. Now there, it's crashing, literally crashing into a wall. Right. So when these little particles hit that wall, picture cobblestone it's just cells next to each other Mm. right so if one hits a crack and it goes through that's called an oxidation of that ldl particle which on the other side then has a chemical reaction where it starts to bind calcium and then that's really where atherosclerosis Ah. fatty streaks and all these problems build up the key there was the smaller the particle the easier it is to fit through those cobblestone cracks correct so you don't want small particles and not only not only is it easier there's way more of them. More of them. So the chances and the odds go up too. So exactly. it's a double whammy. So it's, yeah. So is your doctor, whammy. quadruple, is your doctor looking at the size of your cholesterol particles no. or is your doctor just looking at that number? Most doctors only run lipid panels. That, that was my next question. What's the biggest misconception about cholesterol? And I think that is that just those levels, those ranges you talked about initially, well, total L- HDL yeah. and LDL, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's probably the biggest misconception, right? 100% because here's a crazy stat. I'm going to say it kind of slow. 50% of people that die from a heart attack as the first sign of any cardiovascular issue. Healthy cholesterol. Regular. That's crazy. Normal. Normal. Diseased range. Medical quest. Lab core. It's going to say it's normal. In range. In range. In the reference range. In the range. Medical so, range. So, you know, what is that telling us? Again, what he just said was half of the people that die from a heart attack have an in-range cholesterol level. 
Right. So it's like, okay, well, what does that really mean? Because the whole point of cholesterol meds and all this stuff is to prevent cardiovascular events. And that is a major cardiovascular event. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the risk is not looked at at mm. that point. And that's really where running a test like a cardio IQ comes in because the cardio IQ gives us the lipid panel. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times I see an all green lipid panel and then the rest of it is red or yellow. And the I'm particle like, sizes, the particle sizes. And some of that can be genetic. The other really huge driving factor for it, and this is where the biggest misconception of cholesterol is, is that fats cause a cholesterol problem. It's insulin resistance. Wow. So if we're talking insulin resistance drives smaller particles and, and decreases the size of our cholesterol, which increases the risk for cardiovascular disease, insulin resistance is really the problem there. I wish we had time for you to talk about what insulin resistance is. Do you have like a 30 second explanation? I'll break. Oh, I, you know, I have a 30 second explanation. I, right. For okay. Everything. Yeah. I just sure. <laughs> I've got to have a 30 second explanation for everything. Oh, yeah. Otherwise I'd be here for years talking to people Especially about with their me blood asking those kind right. of questions. So <laughs> I feel like we're in a consultation right now. This is excellent. <laughs> well, you're consulting <laughs> with thousands of people, potentially millions, hopefully. Oh my yeah. goodness. The millions. All right. Listen to this consultation. This may be the most important consultation of your life. Okay. Um, <laughs> Listen up. Listen up. Okay. Let's let's replay. Hit me with the question. I'm going to answer like we're in consultation. What is insulin resistance? <sighs> okay. So, imagine in order for blood sugar, which is what creates energy within our body, glucose, glucose to go into a cell, right? The door to that cell is locked. What opens it is the receptor or the keyhole and then insulin or the key. When you have insulin resistance, it's like the key is damaged and it won't open up the door. Insulin is not as effective anymore to opening the doors for the glucose to go into the cell. And the reason it's not effective is because the receptors become damaged. Oh, so it's not the insulin necessarily, it's the receptors on the cells that are like, yeah, we're corroded a little bit. Your insulin, you're still good, but we're not going to really fit you. So insulin comes floating around and it's trying to park, but it doesn't fit in the spot anymore. That's a better explanation than I always understood. I always wondered what was the problem? Why isn't the insulin working? Because you're producing it. You're just resistant. Your cells are resisting the insulin that you're producing. Exactly. And that's why insulin goes up. So the more insulin... Builds up, builds up, builds up because it's not going into that key. Exactly. And the biggest problem... That lock. Sorry, it's the key. Right. Exactly. And the biggest problem with that is by the time enough keys are made that actually fit the lock and the doors open... Your insulin is too high already. Your insulin is so high that there's such a, a large influx of blood sugar that it creates a stress response in your body. So now cortisol starts going up, your metabolism starts changing, and that up and down of insulin is the absolute worst thing for you and for your cholesterol. Because full circle back to cholesterol, now that we know why the insulin's high, insulin resistance causes insulin to be high, that comes back to cholesterol because... That's what creates the influence of glucocorticoids, cortisone, stress hormones, cortisol, right? All this stuff that's going on inside the body, the stress hormones, where it now starts creating these smaller LDL particles which are faster to make mm. to then get out to the response of that wow. inflammation chain that's reaction. occurring. This is exactly the holistic approach where one thing affects a chain reaction of other things. All the way around. That's wild. Which that's is exactly why we have to look at so about. many things. Right. Because how do I know that all that's going on? Well, I have to put all, I have to confirm all those things. And then once I confirm that all of those boxes are checked, I know what that problem is. I know that I need to remove carbs from their diet. And I'm talking every carb. And you know, I hate it because there's some doctors out there that post these memes where they're like, if anybody tells you to avoid, you know, fruits, then, you know, they're dumb. Yeah. Okay. I'm not telling everybody to avoid fruits. I'm telling the person that's diabetic and we're going to reverse that. In that moment for that time frame. For that until we get it for a minute. Correct. Because they're going to go right to that problem. 100%. So, you know, you know, these are, there's tools that we can use the same way they use medicines to, to accomplish things. We use tools, biohacking, fasting, uh, you know, removing a certain nutrient, macronutrient, you know, that kind of a deal. So again, these things are not recommended for everybody. They're recommended at a certain time. And they're not long-term approaches. They're temporary specific approaches to try to get something to reverse. Correct. And it's just, and it's different for every single person that comes in because they all have different habits, different DNA, different, you know, and environments, you know, some people can buy all organic food. Some people can't, you know, so as far as their, uh, their, their budget and whatnot. Yeah, right? I mean, you have to consider Work those intricacies.
agencies where they as well. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, yeah, what I would look, would I say, everybody in the world, come in today, tomorrow, come get chiropractic, get your IVs, sure. get your massage, because yeah, one hundred percent. But not everybody can do that. Right. You know? Accesses re, uh, resources so. and, and finances. Right. Correct. But the goal I say to my students, especially, the goal should be for you to structure your life in a way where your budget, in your budget, you can afford eventually the quality foods organic or otherwise, and, and services and, and, and treatments that are going to help your body heal and pre- prevent disease. Right. You want to work that into your budget ultimately. You have you're, to. Because you're working into your budget, the, the money to go out in the weekend. You're working that into your budget to buy those shoes. If you're working that into your budget and that's your goal, well, maybe shift your goals a little bit. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we don't think about health. As a priority. As a priority <laughs> because for most of our life as we're younger, it's usually good. But... <laughs> That's usually when we, we're we take messing it for granted. Right. Correct. I tell them all the time. Right yeah. now, you're in your prime. You're taking it for granted, but it's not going to be that way forever. Correct. And, so and then you know, start. exactly. And then you know, you hear people complaining about getting old. Well, you know, Slow maybe that down a little bit. Maybe maybe if you took a little better care of yourself, you wouldn't feel so bad at this point. You yep. know, it's not just getting old. It's all the choices that we make on an everyday basis. For that, sure, that's what turns into our health. Agree. So you know, at the end of the day, it, it's you know we got to take responsibility for that. Yeah, we're all going to get old. It's a matter: of, can you prolong that and not get old faster than your peers, or or you know that sort of thing? Totally. I know you got to run, so we'll 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 wrap this up. Um, at least we'll we'll get towards. Let's hit a few more, man. Some, yeah, I just want to make sure that just to be be respectful of your time. I wanted to ask you about cholesterol because I know that is something that's one. It's big. It's huge. It's big and huge to most people, but it's obviously misunderstood in a way. That I think people can be like, "Wow, okay, yeah, I need to change the way I was thinking." Yeah, check about it. check out the cardio IQ from Quest. Ask your doctors to run it if they don't know what it is. Have them run it and bring it to me, and we'll talk about it. You yeah. know, it's it's good with me. Another question that will lead to something that I'd love to come back and talk about more with you, and, and maybe a couple of other things too, is about cholesterol. But and you touched on it, the relationship between cholesterol and hormone health. I don't think a lot of people understand that that straightaway relationship. Every single hormone in your body, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, every single hormone in your body is built from or, or produced or comes from cholesterol. Cholesterol is the building block for your hormones, correct? So yes and no. Okay. I think what you're what you're speaking about is sex hormones, right? Okay, okay. Um and and stress hormones, right? So that's true. But they're like thyroid hormone, for example. That are produced straight from the gland. Right. Those are those are different. So well thyroid hormone is converted by the gland and then it i have thyroid on my list of things i want to talk to you about probably right. not today but but, thyroid but yeah was so one so most most hormones estrogen testosterone so let me go cortisol. back to you know, let me say because i'll get people's attention by just talking about sex hormones let's yeah. talk about that so 100%. your sex hormones all of your sex hormones and the, the basics are the androgens the testosterones and your and your estrogens you know all those come from are cholesterol. those are produced, come those come from cholesterol so in right. other words the amount of cholesterol in your body and in your diet so to speak is going to adversely impact the levels of your hormones in your body. Yes, right. No? Totally. Sex hormones in your body. So most people taking statins report feeling joint pain. Why? Because they're not making that lubrication of their joints as well as they were. Why? Because cholesterol is a major constituent. And to it, it kills that. And it kills that. Well, it's not that it kills it. It's that it's not available. It's not there for use. I can't tell you to build me a house if I don't give you nails. If mm. I give you everything else and there's no nails... It's just not going to work, right? right? And that, that medicine prevents the nails, essentially. Exactly. It takes the nails away. So, you know, it, it's just, it's not there. It's not available for use. And and the other biggest thing that we hear is impotence or... Mm, ED. Exactly. And and why? Well, because you can't produce testosterone anymore because you don't have enough building blocks for that. Wow. So, those you know. those those cholesterol uh, medications can adversely affect sex health because of those reasons you just mentioned. Big time. I had on my list to ask you, who should take cholesterol medication or medication for cholesterol if you if you would say that somebody out there this is the situation where someone actually i could see they, they should take this or, or i recommend it or you would recommend it is there anybody out there that that maybe would need it and you would say okay it makes sense yes 100 percent. for example actually a patient today i was going to tell him that he needs to go ahead and do that because he not only is his cholesterol bad all around and yes it's genetically it's bad and like there's a lot going on there. Diet, particles, numbers, all that. Correct. Stuff. But his inflammatory markers are already so high. Because of his cholesterol. Right. That he needs to, he needs to just remove Reset as much that. as he can possibly get out of there right now at this point. Deal with the side effects for, for now. Correct. Because there's just so much. And, and really the inflammatory markers, which give us an idea about risk. That's why. Because 
some markers, LPLA2 activity and oxidized LDLs, tell us about what's really going on and high sensitivity CRP. What's like, where is this process of disease going on? Once it gets there, that's already really bad. So we need to just, yes, we need to work on his lifestyle and certain nutrients and changing his diet, but he needs to get as much cholesterol out of his system right now. Cause he's get, he's like a, not a ticking time bomb, but he's it's building up there. a lot of disease. Right. So well, let's get what we can out and then we'll work on the rest. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of other topics here. Could I call this part one and, and come back and do a part two with you? 100% man. I still wanted to touch on autoimmune disorders briefly what those were and okay. get into some details with that. Antibiotics right. were a big one I wanted to talk about because antibiotics almost just like cholesterol. Right. Everybody hears and talks about those. Oh yeah, man. And how they're relevant and what they do. We could probably talk about antibiotics for an hour. Yeah. Just because of some of the potential issues. And I had just a couple questions about prostate health for some of the guys. Well I'll tell you what, I got like ten minutes. Let's 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 talk about the prostate. I mean it's yeah, very let's, let's very just go involved with that with because the prostate actually can link back to cholesterol the conversation. One hundred percent. So let's so keep going on that cholesterol. Let me trend. touch on that one and then maybe we could do a part two. And, and I'll add some things to those. Yeah, things man, for sure. Today. I would love to, you know, COVID is a big one and long COVID and all the stuff that comes from there. Yeah. And the relationship between that and the autoimmunity for a lot of people. Correct. And, would, and personally, that would be one of the reasons why I want to talk to you about that. Yeah, but even, even for people who don't have autoimmunity, just that conversation. Totally. Okay. So the question I had about, about prostate health really had to do with something I learned from you and was about a pathway and you got to refresh your memory and, and maybe for those listening and watching, you know, break it down for them. But um, it was about really solving palmetto and i thought okay um, if your prostate levels are are high or for whatever reason may be infection or diet or something else going on there's a number of reasons and, and i don't know if you have like a one two three of why prostate levels psa might be high what psa is you can maybe talk about what psa is prostate levels high and what might affect the prostate for males just just what you see and what you've seen that might affect it. infection is one that can cause PSA to go up. Totally. Totally. Uh, cancer is another one that can cause PSA to be high. Uh, totally. Um, also even just getting a, getting your prostate checked can cause your, uh, PSA to go up. Really? So, Physically, you mean manually that can yeah, cause it? Exactly. Like stimulated almost? Like a digital rectal exam, huh. exactly. Um, or if, you know, I don't know people's fetishes out there, but something, for example, right, you know, rectal. And, and then <laughs> at the end of the day, the other thing could be, um, for example, riding a bike. I didn't know that, by too the way. The physical touch of the prostate could stimulate PSA. It can, totally. Getting a biopsy done. Wow, riding a bike, biopsy, these things. Physical uh, exactly. pressure damage. Pressure touch, exactly. Okay. That kind of a thing can cause PSA to go up. PSA stands for prostate specific antigen antigen that's what right. we don't want to be high because that's a red mark it's a red flag it's a marker right right so anytime there's an antigen you know it, it means our immune system is kind of involved there and usually the higher it is the more inflammation that there is that's going on got and it. again inflammation is the cause of all disease right we don't everything want comes from that got it so salt palmetto you hear often especially the bro science salt palmetto that'll take care of your prostate situation right you kind of schooled me on the fact that actually saw palmetto drives the testosterone. I think it was one pathway where we really wanted to go the other pathway, a 30 second explanation of that, if possible about how salt palmetto works and why it might not be the best approach to bring your PSA levels down. Right. So when we're talking about, you had a chart you showed me, it was great. And I don't know if we can the, do that the, without a visual, but the chart made it really easy, but basically it's think about like a fan, right? And some some of the testosterone goes down one pathway and some of it goes down. Like a the fork other. in the road almost. Like a fork in the road, right. And genetically some people will have a preference to push it down the fork in the road where it's it's the active, let's call it, versus the inert, right? Test. Right. Testosterone. Testosterone. Okay. So the five alpha pathway is very, very androgenic, which means you're going to feel the effect of the testosterone. If it goes down the five beta pathway, it's going to be like a simulation of an estrogen or, or excuse me, a testosterone deficiency. So for example, I'll, I'll make it easy to understand and like how somebody would present guy comes in and he's like, man, I think I have low testosterone. We run his testosterone free is good. Total is good. Yeah. Maybe they're not super high, but they're good in range. Right. Then we look at, at this test. It's called a Dutch test, dried urine test for comprehensive hormone analysis. Didn't know that's what Dutch stood for. Dutch. Yeah. Every, you know, everything like that has a cool acronym. Okay. So the Dutch test will actually tell us where that testosterone is going. Five alpha, five beta. So the guy appears to have adequate testosterone levels in his blood. Uh. We look at, Oh, you know what though? Genetically, he's more preferring the five beta pathway. So we need to actually increase his testosterone levels higher so that he gets the actual effect because the five beta uh, pathway is actually very effective in 
not hitting the prostate because the androgenic hormones are going to be affecting proliferation of tissue within the prostate. Five alpha will affect the prostate. prostate. So if you're driving testosterone to the, to the five alpha, you have an increased risk of affecting the prostate. Correct. If it's driving to five beta, not so much. Right. And salt palmetto drives it to, to beta. Beta. Correct. So that would be a good thing. Right. But if you're concerned about your prostate, not if you have low testosterone levels and then you feel like you have those low testosterone levels. So for somebody who is increasing testosterone, you may want to have some of that go down over. But if your goal is to get as much testosterone as you want for that period of time, you're hurting that by, by taking salt palmetto and moving it towards the five beta. So you're protecting your, your prostate, but you're also kind of negating some of the effect of the testosterone. Okay, okay. so if, if a guy has adequate or high testosterone and high PSA, salt palmetto might be... Right. A good approach. If he does not want to lower, if, if he doesn't mind lowering his testosterone a little bit. Right. Right. But if he's average in testosterone or especially if he's low mm-hmm. and there's a PSA issue, salt palmetto would maybe address the PSA, but right. you would negate some of your testosterone in the process. Correct. So That's the salt palmetto. So now there's, there's science on another compound that actually comes the from, alternative from, from gonna... pomegranate, which when, which is now protective for the prostate, but doesn't affect the 5-alpha, five 5-beta five pathway. Test can still be driven to the 5-alpha. Correct, correct, but still protective Protect of the, the prostate. prostate and its cells and that function. Got it, yeah. Um, I had some takeaway questions, and it was going to be you know, just about your experience um, as a doctor, what you see. Biggest mistake you see people make in terms of their health? Uh, man, I would say... You probably see hundreds, but just, no, just I, I consistently... Just believing really uh, man it's tough the biggest mistake i think is just realizing that what you do every day is what turns into your health you know the habits not realizing that what you do yeah, every day turns into exactly. your health the results you get to- totally like not understanding that every you know drinking habits, a six routine, pack of diet, coke a day and a, right that all these things sleep. right sleep uh, all the things that we yeah, do we that they're like oh you need to do that for your health those things all matter that you do them consistently because at the end of the day that's it's time versus consistency. Your body relies on that. That's the fork in the road that your body chooses every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so eventually you're going to feel the effects of where you are on that fork. Yeah, good. I think we'll leave it there. I think we'll end on that one, man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for doing this today. I appreciate it, bro. It's and I'd love my to come pleasure, back man. for part two. I'm ready. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Man. Let's do Thanks, it. brother. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of part one of my discussion with Dr. Ray about holistic health, be sure to subscribe for future episodes, including part two and three of this conversation. Please share your comments, questions, or feedback about this episode here, or you can connect with me on Instagram at the Ryan David and send me a DM over there. You can also check out my YouTube channel at the Ryan David for a wide range of content there as well. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening, and until the next episode, take care. Bye, Felicia.